Gavin Penrock for being with us again tonight. Y'all like Gavin Penrock? I love the girl. She likes me so much. <laughs> crush. I wasn't going in that crush. <laughs> I fell out with your crush. <laughs> Speaking of musicians, if you have an opportunity over the next few weeks, all of you are Green Mount folks tonight. Uh, so you can do both one Sunday. Uh, oh, sorry, Keith. Sorry, Keith. You're, uh, you're a lot like Mike. You're everybody. You're everywhere. Oh. No, but don't you have multiple keys? I do. Yeah. So. Mike, do you have multiple keys? I do. Man. Oh, you have multiple keys? No. No. You're I just. This yeah. Well, this is the highest security. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, you get a chance, yeah, go visit the 11 o'clock at St. John's. We have a new um, music director, Justin, and he is fantastic. Piano, especially, he's like a, I'd say a world-class pianist. Like he, so he's been there two weeks so far. This will be his third. He's, he's made you cry each week. How good he is. So, uh, so be sure to put that on your calendar uh, to visit. And he plays a variety of instruments, and so does his, so does his wife. His wife adds up October, come September. November. Beyonce. Maybe I'll just preach. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God, again, we're thankful for this night. Be present with us as we hear the word tonight. I'm going in and out, but be with our sound system too. Amen. So before ministry, uh, I was in the school system for a few years as a teacher and a coach and then as an assistant principal. So for the last three years that I was in the school system, I was in charge of discipline for the school. And so when kids, why are you looking at me, Matthew? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. When kids were in trouble at school, they would come to my office. And uh, yeah, so it was a great job. And we got to deal with some lovely kids, and especially lovely parents and grandparents that would, that their little Johnny or Sally could have never done anything wrong. Uh, why in the world would I be calling? And teachers, of course, that were always right, Keith, and were never part of the problem either. So it was a low-stress job, and you always made everybody happy. So uh, it, it's totally not true. But one of the things that was almost 100% accurate every time when a kid would come into the office and he would be talking about you know, what was happening in their life in terms of school and the classroom, um, and if they were in trouble for a certain reason or there was some kind of issue um, discipline-related, it never failed, number one, they were not the issue. Number two, if we finally got to the point where they knew they weren't leaving until they admitted they were the issue, um, they were never going to do it again. You know, just give me one more chance. I promise I'm never going to do it again, and, and here's why, and here's all the things I am going to do instead. And so almost every time, you know, 10 out of 10 times, when that conversation went that road, went down that road, uh, I would look at the kid, and I'd say, 
That's great, Matthew. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to show me, not tell me. I don't believe a word that's coming out of your mouth. A lot of times I would say that. I can remember one particular time I threw the uh, student manual across the desk. I said, that's a bold-faced lie. I know you'll be in here tomorrow. Uh, but I would say, don't show me. No. I mean, don't tell me. Show me. And so in that particular setting, where we're talking about discipline and self-control and doing the right thing in the classroom or in the school setting, um, actions spoke louder than words. And so what I would want to see is a change in their behavior, their actions. And I know they could say the right thing. I knew they knew what they were supposed to do. They just weren't doing it. I knew that they weren't knew what they weren't supposed to be doing, and they were doing it anyway. And so that the communication was not the problem. The verbiage was not the issue. I wanted them to go back to the classroom and show me, and then we wouldn't have any more issues. Actions in that setting spoke louder than words. We all know, especially English teachers, that language is very important. Very, very, very important. But in that particular setting, we're talking about acrasia. Acrasia is the term Socrates and Aristotle gave to not having the self-control or procrastinating in order that you don't do the right thing. Actions speak louder than words. I can say all day long till the chickens come home that tomorrow I'm going to eat and drink less sugar. But unless I actually do that or stop doing that, it means nothing. I can say till the cows come home that I'm going to go for a walk around the block tomorrow in order for my heart to be healthier. And unless I actually go out and do it, it means nothing for my cardiovascular Actions speak louder than words. These prophets that we study in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, usually fall into two particular categories. They're either working prophets like Elijah and Elisha. That means they are going out and their actions are speaking loudly. Or they're what we call the writing prophets. And so we'll get the long written books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so they're writing these long books and communication you know, to the king and the king's people from God and to God from the king's people. And so we have these beautiful pieces of literature from the writing prophets. And then we have these prophets, the 12 here, that close out the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and most of these are these, these stories where it's maybe a combination of both. Uh, and then we have one like Jonah, which is only four chapters long. And Jonah is a man of few words, but it's this beautiful, beautiful book about and lots of actions. And so, but he's also not a working prophet like Elijah, where so he's not performing miracles. He's not, you know, touching your leg or your shoulder and healing you, Amy. You know, he's still speaking for God, uh, but he's not saying much. So Jonah has himself in this little bit of a pickle. And the issue is, God has given him, given him this very simple job to do. Go to Nineveh, which happened to be in Assyria, and tell them they're going to be destroyed because of their behavior. And he has run the complete opposite way. He knows what he's supposed to do, and he's not doing it. We've covered that the last couple of weeks. And so he ended up overboard. He ended up in the belly of a fish. He hadn't prayed for three days. He hadn't prayed on the boat previous. So he wasn't even doing his job uh, until finally, three days later in the valley, he says this prayer. He's thrown up onto dry land, and now he's going to go finally, 
hear from the Lord a second time. And so that's where we are. And so the second time, it sounds almost identical to the first. And that is, get up, go, preach. Get up and go and preach. Get up, go and speak. Alright, so it's, again, an easy job. It hasn't changed. It's the same verbiage as chapter 1. Same place. And so this time, and again, just like the first, there's no back and forth. Because remember, the prophets in the scriptures, often there's a pushback. And so at least the prophet will say, I don't want to do it. Or I can't do it. I'm not capable. None, none of that happens in Jonah here in these first three chapters. He just, the first time, he doesn't do it. And he runs the complete opposite way. The second time, it says he gets up, he goes, and he's going to go, and he speaks. And it says just that. Jonah got up, went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, about three days' walk across. Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, Just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes, the greatest of them to the least of them. And so the people of Nineveh repent. So here's the thing. Here's the rub. So we have this prophetic book that we call Jonah. We have this prophet. His job is to hear from the Lord and to speak the word of the Lord to the people. He's been fighting God about this in one way or form for however long this story's been going on. He finally gets the word again. He gets up and he goes a long way to this great city of Nineveh. And he's going to do his job finally. And so we have this prophet who is going to be speaking. And he has one of the wimpiest speeches of all time in terms of the prophet's history. And so what I mean by that is maybe... I mean, he speaks for like three seconds. Right, his job is to be like me giving a message, like you're here Sunday morning for Thursday night, and my my message is one minute long. I know you're saying that, yeah. First of all, yeah, right, that would never happen. Second of all, we would love that. Um, but anyway, his, so we'll count the words. Um, Just 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nine words. He speaks nine words. He doesn't even say, thus is the Lord. He doesn't say anything. You know, so they don't want, he doesn't even give an introduction. He doesn't say, I am Jonah. He just says, in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And so what has happened, and just to compare, I mean, if you go to the prophet that comes next, Micah, Micah, again, a fairly short book, um, but the whole thing is his speech from God. And so, like, the Lord's word that came to Micah, and then he goes on to say, listen, all you peoples, pay attention, earth and all that fills it. May the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord is coming out from his place. He will go down and travel. I mean, and he, go, and, he, and he goes on and on and on. And then he lays out specifically what the issues are and how God's going to destroy them. So that's what a prophet does. If you back up to the two previous, Obadiah, same thing. Um, you know, Obadiah is only one chapter long, 
But the whole thing is a he lays out the vision. Look, I will make you a little importance among the nations. You will be totally despised. Your proud heart has tricked you. If you go back to Amos, it's nine chapters of a speech from Amos to the people that they're going to be destroyed by God because of their behavior. Yet we have Jonah give one of the weakest or wimpiest speeches of all time about a destruction from God. And then what makes matters even more remarkable is, unlike all those other prophets, where there's a back and forth and there's a delay and there's time and maybe it comes, maybe it doesn't, maybe there's destruction, maybe there's not, the people repented immediately. So he gives this nine-word speech, doesn't even say it's from Yahweh, just says, hey, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. It doesn't even say why. It doesn't say because you are worshiping idols or that you're worshiping on the wrong day of the week or you're wearing the wrong black clothes in the church or you're going to the Lutheran church and says, Ephesus. It doesn't lay out even give any reasons why. It just says in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. And immediately, immediately, the very next verse in our book says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't even know it was from God. At least according to our, our story here. And then, so they believed God, they proclaimed it fast, and they went in, and then the whole nation did. And so, we have to see here a little helpful insight in what it means to follow through. And so, we don't get any discussion here. Jonah doesn't say, Lord, if we back up the last chapter, he had had that conversation with God. Did God let me out of this belly? I'll go do my job. He had not said that. The prayer, remember, is thanking God for his deliverance. He doesn't say, and I'm going to go do my job. Here in chapter 3, he doesn't even answer God and say, hey, I'm going to go do my job. No. He gets, he goes into action. His, he lets his actions speak louder than his words. In terms of his relationship with God, he gets up and he goes. And maybe the fact that he gets up and he goes, maybe the people of Nineveh know who he is. And he certainly knows who the people of Nineveh are. We'll get into that next week. But he, he knows the people of Nineveh are his arch enemy. In fact, Nineveh is present-day Iraq. And, you know, you can imagine... I mean, today, like if God said, Mike, would go to the people of Iraq and tell them they're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Would Mike hop on a plane tomorrow and be willing to do that? Not much talk back to God? Probably not. I don't want to speak for Mike. But, and, and, and so that's what Jonah here is doing. He gets up, he goes to an enemy city, an enemy people, the Assyrians, who had destroyed the northern kingdom. He got up and went, and he walked through the whole city. So he so he let his actions speak. Because it wasn't those, it had to be something more than those nine words. It was his actions of going there to the city, being willing to do it, an enemy walking amongst the people from beginning to end, all the way through the city. And so he, followed, he eventually, finally follows through. This story is far from over. And we're going to discover that if you read your homework get ahead or you know the end of the story it's far from over but right now in this chapter 3 this snapshot Jonah has followed through and his actions are speaking 
louder than his very few words. And so if there's an area in your life right now that you're struggling to follow through, you know what you're supposed to do in terms of what God wants you to do for your physical or spiritual or relational health, and you're not doing it. Or you know what you're not supposed to be doing, and you're doing it. You're having a hard time following through either because it's a lack of self-control. I just can't do it. I, I lack the self-control to do it or not or to stop doing it. Or for procrastination purposes. You're having a hard time following through. Because this is encouragement to you, and it's given you, it's given you, it's giving us some encouragement to just take an action step. To get up and go. Get up and go. Quit talking about it. It's saying, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it tomorrow. No, do it today. Get up and go. And that's what Jonah finally does. He gets up and he goes. And this remarkable nationwide repentance happens because he finally follows through. Not because of his beautiful poetry, long-lasting speech that we remember for the rest of history. Simple nine words in 40 days, we're going to be destroyed. Because he finally got up and he went. And God used him. The people repented and they're not destroyed. And so, as we pick up next week, we'll discover Jonah has another opportunity to respond. How is he going to respond to this turn of events? We're going to see the teenage boy return in Jonah. We talked a little bit about that last week. He acts a lot like a teenage boy. We're going to see that next week, up close and personal. But for this week, following through requires some action from our part. It's time to stop talking and let your actions speak. And God will honor that. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful that you are patient with us. And you are the holder of grace. And you start by extending grace to us. We thank you that you see us through when we don't follow through. And you're patient and we speak back about all the reasons why we can't do something. All the reasons why we're not living into your will. All the reasons why we're doing the wrong things even though we know what the right thing is to do. And Lord, you've heard our promises over and over again that we are going to do better. You've been patient with us and we're thankful. But now, encourage us and strengthen us and give us the ability through your grace, through your spirit, to let our actions speak for ourselves. Let us put into action this follow-through plan so it is that we can live in honor and glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, starting today and not waiting for tomorrow. Amen. Let us...